It's the 1970s, the decade of orange and brown, hippies, going back to the land and the craft revolution. When I came back to Australia in 76, the great craft revolution had started. Liz Williamson returns to an Australia different from the one she had left. So this whole idea of being involved in the craft sector, in ceramics or in textiles, had happened. Inspired by the textiles she'd seen on her travels through India, Liz sets up a studio on her family farm. A rug project travels Victoria on a train and she sees it in Castlemaine. Liz takes a weaving class at a local community centre. I wove the tapestry on a two-shaft loom and it was very basic. Some of the yarn that I'd used I'd hand-spun and dyed with local plants from the garden. But that was the beginning. Four decades on, Liz Williamson is one of Australia's master weavers. This is Object, a podcast about design and contemporary craft in Australia. I'm your host, Lisa Carl, from the Australian Design Centre. In Series 1, you'll meet the master craftspeople we call living treasures. What makes them a living treasure? What has driven them to a lifetime love of their craft? Is it the material, the process or both? How do they contribute and advocate for the arts? And what's their advice for makers who follow in their footsteps? Let's meet living treasure, master of Australian craft, Liz Williamson. Liz Williamson is an internationally respected textile artist who specialises in hand-woven textiles. Liz is known as the matriarch of Australian weaving. The Australian Design Centre made Liz Williamson a living treasure in 2007, and her exhibition, Living Treasures Masters of Australian Craft, toured nationally until 2011. The texture of Liz Williamson's work is distinctive. It's woven flat, but materials Liz uses create crushed, crinkled surfaces and three-dimensional shapes like loops and sacks. In this episode, you'll learn what Liz's favourite magical material is how darning and repair informs her work, and how she works with weavers around the world. Liz lives and works on Gadigal and Wongal country in Inner West Sydney. Hi, Liz. Hi, Lisa. We're at your home studio. Can I ask you to start by describing where we are and, and what the room looks like? Yes, of course. My studio's in my house. It's a Victorian house, double-fronted. We're actually sitting in what used to be the formal sitting room. So the looms I use here in the studio have three floor looms. One's a glamacra loom, one's a dobby loom, and then I have a 16-shaft loom. Can you tell us how you use the loom in your practice? A lot of the things that I weave are just perfect plain weave because of the materials that I'm using or the idea that I'm exploring. People often ask, 
how long it takes to weave something or how long it takes to set up a loom. Yes, you have to be precise and sometimes it, if it's a very complex pattern and you have very fine threads and a lot of them, it will take quite a while to set up. And you do require some precision. It is repetitive and it's quite meditative. It is interesting how you can do it quite automatically. There's a rhythm to it, I imagine. Yeah, there is. Recently, I've been weaving panels that are about a metre 20 long and I can weave one in within a couple of hours, three, maybe four hours. Liz, one of your favourite materials to work with is fine worsted wool and you've described it as magical. So in terms of worsted wool... Um, most of the wraps and scarves I um, wove here in the studio in that period in the late 80s and 90s were with fine worsted wool. I've diversified since then, but worst, fine worsted wool is, I think, magical because you can do a, um, a lot of things with it and there's processes that you can apply to it, you can treat it and finish it in a certain way. And it's very fine. Uh, it's usually used for men's suiting and most of the wool that I've worked with has come from mills. It's been spun for men's suiting. And I think it's important in my practice that I bought plain white yarn and had it dyed to the colours that I wanted. And that was a very important aspect of my practice. But the wool (laughs) being magical, it can respond to different treatments. Like you can wash it, you can felt it, or you can combine it with materials that felt. The worsted wool doesn't felt that much by itself, but you combine it with other wool that does felt, and so you get very uh, enhanced textured surfaces. And that was a driver for my practice for a long time. One of the things that really interested me in the fine worsted wool was appropriate for this country. It actually came from this country. The wool came from this country. But the worsted wool handwoven into a wrap or a shawl was appropriate for the climate that we have here. So it was a very appropriate material for people to wear. In Indigenous culture, there's been a long tradition of weaving, you know, going back millennia. I'm interested in whether Indigenous forms of weaving have influenced you and how you perceive of Indigenous weaving alongside your practice? I would say I'm very privileged to live in a country that has such a wonderful, uh, rich fibre tradition. The Indigenous fibre art tradition is one of the most amazing in the world. It's been wonderful to see that tradition come to fore with artists representing Australia internationally with Yvonne Kulmatri The Indigenous weaving is with local materials, creating baskets and using structures that they would have used for centuries, but also they've adapted some more European style of basketry tradition. Originally when I was involved in weaving, it was what I was doing, weaving cloth at the loom, but now we think of weaving in a much broader way that includes all of these wonderful shapes and forms and very influenced by traditional weaving techniques in this country. So I think, you know, through your practice, you've drawn on the old and the new, rag rugs, darning, photography. Can you take us through some of those and some of those experiments that I think, you know, have characterised some of your practice? The woven loops came from a project sitting at the loom trying to work out how I could explore this idea of protection and I was creating a three-dimensional structure and the loops were representative of what experimentation could be. 
I did a whole lot of things and then I started playing around with this leather lacing and this gave me the structure. So it was a material that I was using that allowed that structure to happen. And I wove things in a tubular structure and I wove things in a looser structure. So that experimentation is really, I think, vital to develop these different approaches. And with the loops, some of them, it's just plain weave. It's just plain weave with materials, but it's how I've combined them and created them together. But I very early on, I did some quite complex three-dimensional structures, uh, developing a double cloth structure. So actually, that's many years ago. It must be 30-odd years ago now. And then for a long time, I wove double cloth sacks that I hung on the walls. So a lot of those were my old clothes and some of them were plant dyed. Liz's work in double cloth is legendary. Weaver Ilka White remembers the first time she saw it and how inspired she was by this double cloth weaving. The first cloth I remember really clearly admiring of Liz's was at RMIT when I went to apply for the textile design course there. And Liz had been a student there prior to me and a swatch of her double cloth was on a table or somewhere there. And I didn't know it was Liz's, but I pounced on it and asked the panel, oh, what's, tell me about this fabric. And um, that two-block double cloth, you know, relatively simple structure, but it was the colours, the colour combinations and the interactions of the layers that really drew me and very much inspired a lot of my student work. And I remember meeting her at a conference in Canberra wearing a piece I'd made, which was pretty inspired by her work. And she commented on it and asked to take a photograph. She was collecting photographs of people wearing their weaving. And I was embarrassed because I said, oh, Liz, it's really very much your work. <laughs> and she said, she said, we all start somewhere, you know. So, Liz, where did you start? I want to take you back to your early years so that we can understand how you became a weaver. Did making happen in your family when you were growing up? Definitely. My mother was a great maker and a homekeeper. There are four of us in the family and my mother... We lived on a farm in central Victoria. She made clothes, she knitted, she was a great embroiderer, she painted on um, porcelain, china painting. And so it was very instilled in me this idea of making to beautify space or to make your life more interesting, making things that you could use that were practical but also that people enjoyed having got pleasure out of having was very much part of my family. From that early making, Mm. that early appreciation that your mother engendered in you for all types of making, Mm. what was the pathway from there to weaving? So my mother engendered in me a great interest in making and in textiles and that was what I was initially involved in. Weaving came a little later and that was influenced partly by my travels, but partly by seeing weaving undertaken elsewhere. Travelling overseas, in 73 I left Australia, as did many other people at that time, to travel overseas through Asia, the great trek overland, to Europe, 
And so I did that. I did that in stages. I first went to um, Southeast Asia, then I went to London for a long period of time, and then I came back overland and spent a long time in India. When I came back to Australia in '76, the great craft revolution had started in Victoria, and the Victorian tapestry workshop had been set up, and Craft Victoria had been set up. And in Castlemaine, there was a community centre run by a friend of ours, and I chose to do the weaving class. So, Liz, was that the beginning? What happened next? Formal study? Then I moved to Melbourne, and at Melbourne College of Textiles, we learned in a very European style, hand weaving, and it was all about existing patterns. Glinda Binnings, who is the master weaver, her practice was rag-rug weaving because her family's business had been rag-rug weaving in Bavaria in Germany. So her family had had a mill, a weaving mill, that wove rag-rugs for people. So people, was mainly farming communities during the winter months when they were inside, they collected their old clothes and cut them up into strips and then they were taken to the mill to be woven in a set of three rugs, which were given as a trousseau, 50 centimetres, 60 centimetres. But they used the old clothes as the weft. And at the end of that time, I left with a whole lot of samples and I knew I wanted to do something with them, but I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I then went to RMIT and studied textile design. And the two lecturers there, David Green and Hugh Raper, were instrumental At the end of that three-year full-time study, I was very interested in being a textile designer in the industry and most of the the industry at that stage was um, furnishing fabrics. Then, um, not long after I finished that course, we moved to Sydney and I essentially set up a studio here and I did do quite a lot of sampling for the industry, wool furnishing fabrics, but I became more interested in the process of weaving individual pieces, and that's the mid-80s. And my whole emphasis of my practice shifted to weaving wraps and scarves that people could wear. I bought one of her land wraps, a woven wrap, predominantly in shades of brown, orange and copper, with a crinkled surface texture. Anna Waldman was a curator at the Art Gallery of New South Wales and was director of the Australia Council's Visual Arts and Craft Board. And I thought it bridged the space between useful wearable product and a sculptural abstract work of art. And most importantly for me was the useful beauty of her scarves. That's what resonated with me. That's what I loved. Liz, repair and reuse is a recurring theme in your work. And you've also done historical research into darning. For my masters, I looked quite a lot into the history of darning. The skill of darning was an acquired expertise for a lot of women in the 17, 1800s because it allowed them to get a job. And the way that they learnt was by doing darning samplers. 
a lot of the women that came here to Australia in, in First Fleet and as convicts, they got opportunities because they knew how to darn and could repair household textiles and clothing. So I think, it, you know, darning plays a really interesting place in history. It's not regarded highly now, although there is a lot more about repair. When I was looking into darning and people say, oh, yes, I remember my grandmother darning socks. Like it was something of people's memory only. But with our concern now about materials and reuse and sustaining the life of objects, I think darning's coming into its own, as with repair. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and and also um, the darning is actually less hidden perhaps mm. now than it was. I think you know, mm. in the past, darning was to repair invisibly, yeah. but mm. now the darning seems to be, you know, coming to the surface of the yeah. fabric and yeah. and being shown and yeah. worn as a kind of badge of um, mm. showing that repair on the outside. I guess. In my practice, I've created things on my shafted looms here in the studio that elaborated on a darn, that really emphasised the contrast that a darn makes. So there were the idea of darning I used for quite a period of time in my practice in terms of weaving wraps and scarves, but also in the jacquard weaving that I did, which was all digital, and that was using photographs initially that I elaborated on. At the moment, I think you're Honorary Associate Professor at the University of New South Wales. So Mm. teaching is obviously featured large within your career. Mm. But also you've travelled and worked extensively in India. And you mentioned when we first started talking about that early experience in India before you returned to Australia after your travels. How how did working in India later in in life come to be? And um, what have been the standout moments for you from that experience? So India is fascinating and a lot of my time has been consumed with travel and and trips to India, I guess, in the last 20-odd years. My engagement has been through groups of artisans and working with artisans. So I travelled there in the 1970s, I mentioned, and then I didn't go back again until 2001 and that was essentially for a holiday and that was fantastic to be in India again. In that same year, I was invited to teach into a program. It was a conference that went for three weeks. It was called Vital Traditions. It was held in Vietnam, but it brought together artisans from 14 different Asian countries with their facilitators. It was supported by UNESCO. And it was to assist those artisans to develop new designs to engage in their tradition and develop a design that referenced their tradition but was more marketable. So I ran the weaving workshop and it was a great, wonderful experience. It gave me an insight into what I could do as a weaver that could contribute back into weaving communities in various countries and allowed me to engage with artisans in a different way. So uh, following that, I've taught workshops in Pakistan. I went to Pakistan twice, to Lahore in India, of course, and I also went to Tibet to teach a weaving workshop. But then I also started commissioning some of my designs being woven in West Bengal with the people I met at Vital Traditions. So it was my experience of going to India in the early 2000s 
and engaging with artisans that led me to want to develop an elective course at the university called Cultural Textiles, which took students to India, initially to Gujarat and then more latterly to West Bengal, to take students there to engage them in handmade textiles. Uh, I wanted to give them experience related to what I'd had of going to India. So more recently, you've collaborated with furniture designer maker John Goulder. Can you tell me what was involved in that collaboration? So it was a suite of furniture that referenced his history of making, really. His family's involvement, three generations of Goulders involved in making furniture, restoring furniture and repairing furniture. I was exploring the four generations of my family and my family's practice so within that is a huge amount of fabrics and, and um, really wanted to explore that materiality. And so started to look at collaborating with weavers. John Goulder is a designer maker based in Adelaide. And naturally Liz Williamson's the matriarch of Australian weaving, I would say. We approached Liz to ask if she'd like to be involved and she was, so we were over the moon. And then... What transpired was a series of workshops and studio visits and just time. It was such a privilege to get to know Liz in a more intimate way, I guess, through through our craft and share many cups of tea. In the middle of 2019, I wove... 15 metres of fabric for, well, for one of the designs, for the chaise, I wore 15 metres of leather. That was a, a chaise lounge that had a beautiful arc to it. Yes, yeah? a beautiful curved mm. back and the curve was quite high on one side and went right down straight to the floor. So it was this absolutely amazing curve and a very large chaise lounge, which is now in the Arco of South Australia's collection. So I wove the fabric which was strips of leather. But it was, um, it was a great experience because to see his response to weaving the looms and here in the studio, right away when he came here, he knew the kinds of things he wanted and that was realised through the, the leather in particular. Walking into Liz's studio, for me, especially in relation to the exhibition we were making, is like being a kid in a candy store. It's... The materials, the colours, everything, the looms, it just speaks of creativity and it was a beautiful experience and I, I kind of miss it. I wish I lived closer. Interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, you spoke earlier about you starting your career weaving textiles for furniture mm. and then this, you know, this recent project yeah. has brought you back to furniture yeah. after years of working in wearables. So yeah. it sounds yeah. like the projects that you're engaged in now are actually giving you that opportunity to continue learning about materials yeah. and, and techniques and mm. that lifelong experimentation. Mm. So looking back, Liz, is there one thing that stands out from all you've achieved? Well, the Living Treasures Award was very significant, Lisa, it was really the highlight of my career and it was a wonderful acknowledgement, great honour and acknowledgement of my practice. How did you feel when you, were, when you were invited to be part of the Living Treasures program? It was a little overwhelming. The whole process was, it was a huge undertaking at that time to have the exhibition because although I'd had solo shows, I hadn't had a major touring exhibition or a publication. So these were wonderful 
aspects of the award uh, to have an exhibition that toured for two years, the publication. So a living treasure, I think, can be seen as a kind of role model for other makers. What's your advice to other makers today? I guess what I could say is that they have to be true to themselves and you have to come up with something that's very individual and original and linked with your interests. I mean, that, that idea of experimenting for me at the loom has been central to my practice and I think that's given me quite an individual approach to weaving. Liz, thank you so much for your generosity and what you've shared with me today. It's my pleasure, Lisa. And it is very interesting to be asked these questions and to think about the Living Treasures Award and how it's important it's been uh, in my career. Now that I'm back in the studio essentially full-time, it's great to be reminded of some of the things that have happened in the last, well, what is it, 40-odd years now. That was Liz Williamson, Australian Design Centre's fifth Living Treasure Master of Australian Craft. What I learnt from Liz was the value of ongoing experimentation such as Liz's continual evolution of double cloth weaving and how Liz's ongoing interest in community led to skill sharing with other textile artists both in Australia and overseas. You can see images of Liz's weaving in the show notes on the Australian Design Centre website. In the next episode of Object, you'll meet master ceramicist Les Blakeborough. Well, I was intrigued. That was the thing about it. I got, I got caught up in it because I was, I was fascinated by the process. If you've been enjoying Object, please tell your friends to listen and your colleagues and anyone you know who loves contemporary craft and design. Object is a podcast by the Australian Design Centre. The Gadigal people of the Eora Nation are the traditional custodians of this place we now call Sydney, where the Australian Design Centre is located and where this podcast was made. We'd like to thank the Australia Council for the Arts for funding support for Object. You can follow the Australian Design Centre on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Object is produced by Jane Curtis in collaboration with Lisa Carl and Alex Fiveash. Thank you for listening.